0: My name is Jim Hawthorne, if you haven't met me before, and I'm the director of our Alliance camp here in, Mon- in Bozeman called Yellowstone Alliance Adventures, and it is a real treat today to be able to uh, be a part of this Sunday service as camp is now under full way for the season. We have uh, about 18 college students gathered from around the country that are here with me today and 16 high school students that have signed up to be a part of our Timothy Leadership Program. And these young men and women will be responsible for leading your children through every drop of rain and cold weather that is gonna be upon them today as our third, fourth, and fifth grade camp starts this afternoon. And I would like to invite you to be engaged this summer, starting today if you haven't already been, but there are hundreds of lives. We'll have over 900 campers this summer passing through the gates and being a part of the ministries of Christian Camp, where we hope to impact their lives with the powerful name of Jesus Christ. So will you pray for these people? I'm going to ask them all to stand just so you can see the number of people that will be here serving our children this summer. Team, give us a quick look at who you are there. Please do, thanks gentlemen, ladies. Please do be in great prayer for them as it is a massive spiritual undertaking that is going on, as well as physical, as you can tell from my own voice. Colds are already challenging each of us in our ability to lead well, to have energy. So please be in prayer for us. If you join me this morning as we continue our service with a time of opening God's word, will you pray with me and invite the Holy Spirit to do a work among us? Lord Jesus, I am mindful the story of the men walking to Emmaus following your crucifixion and resurrection, walking in great confusion and consternation and disbelief and wonder and how you came alongside of them and for miles and perhaps hours spent time with them and they didn't even recognize you. This morning I invite you, Holy Spirit, to Illuminate our minds, open our eyes, make it possible for us to taste and see that you are doing something new. That you are about a work, you are present with us, and you are calling us into that. Let us hear your voice today and respond like and likewise with you. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, our staff, the full-time staff at Yellowstone Alliance Adventures, opted on the word jump for our summer theme. That sounds pretty exciting, right? Envisions of kids jumping about up and down with excitement and delight, lots of movement, lots of action. And uh, great ideas started to flow from my team Some of them included setting up bungee jumps and various things running off of roofs into a big landing pod or something. And there was all this delight and excitement and one of my staff ladies I noticed growing a little bit quiet and timid and saying, hmm. I said, what are you thinking about this? You don't seem as enthusiastic. And she says, well, maybe could we do something like with a curb? Can we just jump off of a curb? The excitement just was a little bit too much for that individual. The personal response inside was a little bit more hesitation. Maybe you're in one of these camps of when you're invited to jump, perhaps you're like the Hawthorne family that likes to go over to Three Forks and find Williams Bridge. Any bridge jumpers in this group? A few. Williams Bridge stands about 25 feet above the river below, that is if you're on the deck. It's about 40 feet above the river if you climb up the scaffolding to the very top I-beam. Our family likes the I-beam. Sometimes jumping is a good idea, other times jumping might not be such a good idea. So on one occasion, our family was at the bridge. We said, let's go take a picture, all seven of us, from on top of the bridge before we jump. Sounded like a great idea to us. Of course, being who I am as the dad, the father, we have to keep leading our family into new adventures, new heights, new jumps. So I said, hey, wait a minute. When we get up there, let's all hold hands when we jump. That was met with a bit of resistance. My daughter Jessica, in particular, was like annoyed by the idea. This is not going to go well, but everything should work out fine if we jump in unison together. So they they agreed that begrudgingly, and my daughter Jessica is standing next to me, and we agree on the count of three. We're going to then jump together. Well, with a death grip in hand, we get to two. And Jessica's off leaping into the air. Yes, I'm being pulled along beside her, and instead of landing on my feet as I had hoped to, sprayed out, and a couple of ribs decided they were going to go a different direction. So sometimes jumping leads us into things that we maybe shouldn't be doing. But there is an invitation to jump in our lives, and it's the story of following Jesus' leading in our lives that I want to share from. Our theme verse has no word about jumping except the affirmation of who our God is. And we sang about the rock of ages, the same God, yesterday and today, this morning. In Isaiah 41, 9 through 10, this is... Our theme verse, the promise that goes with our theme this summer, it says, But you, my servant, whom I have chosen, whom I took from the ends of the earth, I say to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that a beautiful passage of promises of who God is? As he calls us into servanthood with him. This is the pivotal part, it's a both and, Jesus is calling us to jump into ministry as he is on mission in this world. He's inviting us to participate in what could be a very terrifying event. Many of you will never climb to the top of Williams Bridge with me. You would not even go to appear at the bridge. You don't want any part of that kind of things. But perhaps you can relate to the cute idea of my now nearly two-year-old grandson. The little child that fathers, you have, you have probably each individually experienced this where you've set your child on a picnic table or perhaps on the edge of the pool and you have gone to him below him with your arms held out like this. And in my case, I would say, Gilson, Gilson, come on, jump to Poppy, jump to Poppy. Oh, we like that. That's a great image. Our hearts latch on to that and say, yeah, I want to be invited. Meanwhile, Gilson's standing back at the edge saying, I'm not so sure. I don't know about this. I don't know what's going to happen on the other edge. What's going to happen if I do take this step that you're prompting me into? And as children, we've seen it back and forth, back and forth until it finally breaks the ice and maybe mom gives a little gentle nudge and helps the process along. But Jesus is inviting us to jump into ministry, servanthood with him. Not that the jump gives us clarity and understanding, but that wonderful promise of Isaiah, fear not, I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Those are the words of our Lord. Today, as we step into this message, I want to take a minute to dedicate these thoughts to two people that helped me dearly in this process of learning to jump. One of them is not here today, unfortunately, my very, very good friend, Denny Grenowig. 28 years ago, literally this weekend, June 15th, 16th, and 17th, I was invited out here as a young late 20s something of a, of a man seeking to get involved in Christian camping. Denny Grenewig met me at the airport with my wife Andrea and my first daughter Jessica and my second daughter Ellie in Andrea's womb still being formed. Four of us showed up in Bozeman, Montana 28 years ago today We were brought around Bozeman, shown the views from all around, had camp on the hillside pointed out to us by Denny Grenewig. He took us up. He gave us a tour of this piece of property that the Christian Missionary Alliance owns. He showed us the swing set where there was one swing hanging by one chain. He showed us the shop where there was a hammer and one screwdriver. I'm not sure which one it was. But it was a place characterized by these masterfully built old sheds that were crammed full of donated, or should I say, unwanted stuff. The place had things stuffed in every corner and they interviewed us in this kind of a fashion, showing us this property with great pride. They showed us a budget of $45,000 annually. They informed us that we serve about 400 people every year. Denny, then after giving this tour and giving us this background information, gave me a $20 bill and said, hey, there's this restaurant over in a place called Four Corners, the Country Corner Cafe. Take your wife out for dinner before the board meeting this evening. So we went out to dinner there and we sat and we had this conversation together. How do we be nice and leave as quickly as we can? True story, not not a bit of it is a falsehood. We looked in and in my pride and arrogance and recommendations from my own mentors said, not a chance, don't take something like this. The uh, offer was on the table for us after the board meeting. The board said we recognize the state of affairs that we're in We also know how tremendously powerful and significant the ministry of Christian camping is with young people and families. We simply don't know where to go or how to get there. We can offer you a place to live and raise your family. We can give you a promised salary of $12,000 a year. And we'll throw in $200 a month to work with your insurance. How could I resist? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Will you come? That was the invitation. I said there are two people I wanted to dedicate this to. Denny, who gave us an invitation to, to take a jump to take a leap that seemed completely absurd and ridiculous and why would we even really give this much more consideration? The second person was my mom, Jane Hawthorne, who is with us this this day, now approaching 92 years. We shared these stories with her by phone somehow. I'm not sure how we accomplished that, Andrea, but She called me the next day after our interview and after we'd shared things. And she says, Jim, I just got to tell you that I didn't sleep much last night. I know you got to make a decision. But the only thing God would put on my heart, and I got up praying for you over, is that story of Joshua and Caleb. Remember, they were the two that went into this foreshadowed promised land that god had said i want you to jump into that to go and take that battle on and they came back and said we see these giants let's go and it sounds like this place is going to have a lot of hurdles to overcome maybe a few obstacles but if god's calling you to this i want you to jump and i want you to know jim i'm praying for you I hope each of you have people in your life like that, that will stand beside you in those moments of decision where God is prompting you to jump, giving you an invitation to step into a moment, perhaps it truly is just a moment, where God wants you to behave a little bit different that you will have those people that help clarify for you that this truly is an invitation and all of the excuses that you can muster really are not meant to be the guides for you. It's the calling of Christ in your life, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So as we enter into this message, I want to ask you just by a rhetorical question For those of you that are getting a little bit older, this distance, this period of time might be greater. But when was the last occasion that you had one of those true moments of discovery? The aha moment where the light bulbs came on, when all the dots suddenly connected together and when you said, ah, so this is how it works. One week. A month? Three years? What could it be? I tell you, when I watch my little grandson, Gilson, it is moment by moment discovery of like, this is what's next. This is what I get to do in the next moment. Oh, here's how it works for me to put two feet in front of the other. To start running instead of crawling. And I fear that for most of us, like myself, who now will turn 58 this fall, that the old adage might become too real. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Ask my kids about that when it comes to technology in my cell phone. And so this is the invitation I have to you. Is there a willingness on your part to step into hearing a passage of Scripture perhaps with a new set of ears, with an openness that God could truly be impressing upon us at whatever stage of our lives that he is calling us to participate as his servants in ministry as he goes on mission in this world and in this town. Jesus' very early words were, come and follow me. It's an invitation of movement. From the place that we're at right now, at this moment in time, to and towards another place. Not just geographically, per se, but that might even be the case, too, that he's calling you into geographical movement. But I'm talking mostly about our spiritual walks, our personal lifestyle, how we live. Jesus' invitation provokes a response from us. Some of it, in the jumping illustrations I get, it engages our personalities like trying to coax Gilset off of an edge. Others, the idea of jumping, it's just too much. We, we shut down. We are not going near the Williams Bridge. You can't prompt me enough to get me to go there. I understand that these personalities exist and some of us are, are more cautious than others, but that's not what I'm trying to press into this morning. It's the obedience factor of if God, then what? Will I respond to what he's inviting me into today? Given that adventure is about moving us forward, come follow me, From here to there, from distance to proximity, it's an opportunity for us to become part of this progression of becoming more like Jesus Christ. The mission of Yellowstone Alliance Adventures states that we exist to direct people to Jesus Christ and develop them to more reflect his character. It's a progression of becoming like him in our thoughts, our attitudes, our words. To emphasize this idea of progression, you may be familiar with the passage in Ephesians 2, but it's one in which Paul delineates and says, Once upon a time, you were in this place. You were literally dead in your sins and your transgressions. But now... I have, God has moved you to a place of life. He has brought us into an alive aspect that we were created for, moved us from death to life so that we can be about good works, which he has prepared for us in advance to do. This is a reality of our lives on a daily basis that God has a good work in store to be done today by you for someone else. There is a reason we are alive in Christ. And that's to engage in his mission work. Discipleship is this invitation. Come and follow me. Now, today, the, the familiar idea of followers has something to do with Facebook or Twitter or something like that. We have all of these followers at a very remote distance. There's no real relationship there. But they are influencing us. They're telling us what clothes we should be wearing, what vacations we should be taking, what our our inflections should be in our talk, how we should engage in this great big social experiment of living together. These social influencers are inviting us and our children on a daily basis to become followers of them. Some of us dads get pretty concerned about this, and we we struggle with this idea. How do we intercept and interact in this world where so many other voices are speaking into our kids' lives? Discipleship, though, is a lot more than following somebody tagging along to see what he's going to do or she's going to do, watching for a distance. Discipleship is more about apprenticing ourselves, coming alongside of a master craftsman who can teach us the trade so that we become like them. We're so close, we can smell their breath. We we feel and see the sweat on their brows. We can enter into it and our trade craft and our skill craft begins to become so much like this person that when we turn out our own product, other people say, wow, who did this work? This looks like so-and-so. This is the idea when Jesus invites us into follower, it's to become like him. It's to have a responsiveness in our spirit that nobody can differentiate whether it's Christ at work or Christ in me at work carrying things out. It's moving from admiration only to, I can do that too. So today's passage for Scripture with those references and backstory in mind is in our Gospels. I'm not following along with Nick's um, passages, but if you want to take a look, this is a story that's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to read it from Matthew 14 John, and John 6. If you want to put your fingers there, But Mark and Luke essentially tell the same story with a little bit different language. This is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Now, I want you to hang on to that statement itself. That's what our scriptures say. This is about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. That's where our mind rests. That's the place where it's very hard to to go to another place and say, is this story about more than just Jesus feeding 5,000 people? So we're going to try to, I'm going to attempt to uncover a little bit of an insight that I think is pertinent for us. Let's hear this story, Matthew 14. He picks up right after a series of very significant things that have happened. The disciples have simply returned, recently returned from being commissioned to go out and and in twos, in pairs, take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what they're seeing, what they're learning, the power of God, into these different villages. You can imagine the attacks that they had. You can imagine how exhausted they were. They had just recently returned with both celebration and flat-out, I'm weary, And they're telling stories. And Jesus says, hey, let's go away to a quiet place. Let's get some refreshment. Imagine the disciples leaning into this with, oh, that sounds so good. Simultaneously, in the scope of this chronology, they get the word that John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, has just been executed. You can imagine the heaviness that's upon them. This is so distressing inside of them. The the tendency is, oh, I'm dealing with my grief, I'm dealing with my weariness, I'm dealing with all of this stuff going on in my life, and we're looking now, leaning into, anticipating some quiet time with Jesus, hanging out by a campfire, telling stories, relaxing, swinging in our hammocks, and this is the story as it then unfolds here in Matthew, When Jesus heard this news about John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place. An important word to hear there, desolate, by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now finally over. Send these crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. What a wonderful story with so many nuances in there. So in this situation, you can... It leaves out a little bit. It sounds like Jesus is doing this alone, but the other passages clearly bring up the idea that the disciples traveled with Jesus to a place of desolation where they could truly disengage and be refreshed. All these crowds show up, and in Matthew's account, the disciples are the proactive ones. They're the ones saying, oh my goodness, again, all these people, Jesus, send them away. We've endured yet another day. Give us a break. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. In John, he goes about it a little bit differently. And the story is that Jesus is the initiator of the conversation. After this, they went away, John 6, to another side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The Passover feast was at hand, lifting up his eyes then, and seeing the large crowd he was com- that was coming towards them, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy food? Where are we going to buy bread so that all these people may eat? He said this to test philip for he knew that he what he would do and philip answered 200 denarii wouldn't be wouldn't worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little one of his disciples andrew simon peter's brother said to him there's a, a boy here who has five loaves barley loaves and two fish but what are they for so many jesus said have the people sit down And we know the rest of the story. So here are two different accounts that both reveal the disciples' growing relationship, emerging relationship with Christ. In Matthew's account, Mark's account, the disciples, in their weariness, in all of the emotional state that they're in, the physical state that they're in, they're kind of putting up with Jesus one more time. Jesus has gone about healing these people and taking care of them all day long. And you can feel it if you've been anything like me in a moment where I've been promised solitude and rest. And now I'm put back to work again. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Why are we doing this? And so they get to the end of their rope at the end of this day and they say, Jesus, it's time. Literally, you have got to move these people on. And Jesus is described as being one with compassion. A characteristic of ours growing in likeness to Jesus Christ. What is our compassion level like? Where do we, um, when do we feel like we no longer have to be compassionate? They come up with these different rationales. We're in a desolate place. There's no way to solve this problem. There's not enough money. It would take two years of wages to feed all these people. I'm not willing to share that. There isn't any place at hand where we could even get them. Let's let's just send them off. Let it be somebody else's problem. Let them take care of themselves is the mentality of some of the disciples here. And Jesus looks them right in the eye and says, you give them something to eat. What is? What do we know about the personality and character of our Lord Jesus? Rhetorical question, but think about it. What do we know? What do you know about who Jesus is? Is he a trickster? When he says, you give them something to eat, is he setting them up for failure? Is he somewhat maniacal, like, saying, aha, I know you can't do anything about this, so too bad for you. What is he saying to us when he calls us into a jumping action that we have no understanding for, a relationship, a conversation, an interaction with somebody that we meet? When it's completely out of our league and Jesus still says, you do something about it, is he, is he somehow manipulating our hearts and doing something weird? Do we have a sense that he's out to get us? Is he unkind? Is he overbearing? You promised rest, but now you're asking this. These are all thoughts that I know I have carried about in my mind at different times of my growth. How could you possibly be asking this of me? I'm not willing to part with my resources. To be sure, John points out to us that this passage truly is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was a revelation event where Jesus was seen to be above and outside of all of earthly bounds. He is God, one with God. And this miraculous event pointed us to his deity. We cannot miss that. And I don't want to subjugate that in any way. This story truly is about Jesus Christ. But I also have a very deep belief that Jesus isn't playing a trick here. That Jesus is using this story and this statement, you give them something to eat, to engage his disciples. It's an invitation, a provocation, if you will, to see how we're going to respond in this life. He said this to test them. Jesus engages us and provokes a response. How are we going to follow in this? How is Jesus going to move us from point A to point B to C to maturity in Christ. Paul says, I'm in the throes of the pains of labor until you reach maturity in Christ. This is a biblical principle that's at stake here. God moving us, causing us to jump towards from something to something. And it's that invitation that we have to respond to this morning. As I read this story and I see traces of, of humor in it, I want to draw out three different types of people. Where we're at, not so much types of people, but where we're at in our journey of faith. The, the first ones that, that come to mind with the disciples that lead the conversation and are saying, Jesus, there's no possible way. Send them all out of here. I'm done. I'm tapped out. It takes me back to King Saul. King Saul was leading the Israelites and he was told by God, despite all of their circumstances, to go and to fight the Philistines at a specific location. Those of you that are familiar with the story know that the backstory was that they had been Overrun by the Philistines and dominated by them for years to the point where there isn't any weaponry among the people except for two swords that Jonathan, the king's son, and the king himself carry. There's a shield held by both of those men and all of the rest of the people have, have had weaponry taken away except for some farm implements. So it's in this context that God says, I want you to go and fight these Philistines and I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to deliver them. Well, King Saul, in this aspect of his growing faith and trust in God, when he's invited to jump, says, the math does not add up here. I am out. There is nothing that makes sense about this. In fact, That pomegranate tree over there looks like it's got some ripe fruit. I'm going to go hang out there in its shade and I'm just going to wait it out. There's the story of an individual whose faith in God is so small that he's paralyzed to a point of sitting out. It's the type of person that says, well, if you could show me a little bit more evidence of how the results are going to play out Then perhaps I'll jump, but I need some more evidence. It's otherwise not going to happen. This was the case for those 10 spies that accompanied Joshua and Caleb. They all saw the same thing, but they saw the giants, they saw the walls, they saw the weaponry. Yeah, they saw the good fruit that was of the land as well, but they never saw their God. They never listen to the response or the the calling of God to go. And so these 10 represent this same group of people that if it's not perfectly spelled out for us with clarity, we're going to do nothing. The second progression of people in their maturity towards faith in God, I would go right back to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan heard the message, the directive. I want you to go and I will fight the Philistines for you. I will be with you when you are afraid in this next step. I will provide for you. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come on, I got to get away from my dad. He's driving me crazy here. God's telling us to do this. I don't know how it's going to work out. But perhaps, if we go and show ourselves to the Philistines, God will work on our behalf. What a wonderful little word, perhaps. Perhaps. My faith isn't that deep. It's not that established. It's not that strong yet. It hasn't been tested that greatly yet. But, but perhaps I can jump off of this curb. Perhaps I can take this next step. And to me, it goes back, it echoes forward to Andrew in this story in John. And if you read it again, and you think of the context of this, it's it's just a really funny storyline. Jesus is saying, what should we do with these people? Where can we get some food? Jesus is initiating this conversation, this engagement. He's provoking a response. As we can tell, all the other disciples are giving up every rationale why it's not possible. Andrew shows up and picture Andrew now. Hey, there's there's a a young man over there. I spotted his sack lunch. I I saddled up next to him and I, I took a peek inside of his bag. He's got five little loaves of bread and a couple of fish. We could swipe that kid's lunch. If that's not funny enough, it's like, okay, here, Jesus, I got five loaves of bread and two fish. Can you do something with this? What is he thinking? What's really going on in the minds of this young man? I believe Andrew represents that second person that's growing in their walk with Jesus and beginning to experience the successes of God working things out on our behalf. I can't figure it out. I can't. Can we do anything with five pieces of wonder bread and a couple of sardines? Most of us would probably throw it in the trash can. <laughs> Two sardines. And then the third person is that man named Caleb and Joshua who live lives fully convinced. Caleb was one of those two that said, let's go up right now and attack, and, and God will deliver the, these armies into our hands. And instead he got overruled and had to spend the second 40 years of his life wandering in the desert with a bunch of grumbling people. Can you imagine his frustration Can you imagine himself saying, why God, I was ready to go. Why are you letting all this happen? And he endures that. And they enter into the promised land after these great battles. And now Caleb's 80 years old and another five years takes place. And they're settling the land. And Joshua's finally ready to divvy out all the land. And he comes to Caleb and he says, Caleb, what land do you want? And this man now at 85 years of age says, Joshua, You know that I've been faithful to the Lord from the very beginning. You know that I have trusted him and followed him wholeheartedly. Now in my old age, I want you to give me the hill country. Give me the place up high where I still have to go after it in faith and trust and strength from the hand of my God to settle that place. These are the wonderful progressions of God inviting us to jump, to take the initial steps off of the curb, to go farther in in our faith with him till he can move us to the place where we are taking great leaps of faith. Regardless of our age, you've got your young children here with you today. Parents, will you encourage them to jump into difficult places? to work on their friendships, to say I'm sorry in the situations where sibling rivalry is just going crazy, to teach them to be kind to one another, to teach them this level of compassion for one another that Jesus demonstrates to us. God longs to move us from where we are today into his likeness of where we will be tomorrow. From Saul saying, it's hopeless. To Jonathan, perhaps God will act on our behalf. To Caleb saying, "We, we can't lose. What a marvelous story is prompted by Jesus directly saying to each one of us, you give them something to eat. It is not a manipulative statement. It is not just setting the stage for us to watch Jesus work. It is an invitation for us to partner with the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in other places of Scripture, it promises us, see, you will do even greater things than me. We can move from the attitude of dismissiveness that the disciples had. There's a problem. Send them away. We've got nothing. It costs too much. To Andrew, wait, this kid's got some wonder bread over here. We've got a chance. To being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, where truly we know that we can't lose. This brings me back as I wrap up to the power of Christian camping. It's the experiential opportunities that we give people. Certainly we're inviting folks into our camp setting. But what we are actually doing is we're inviting people to come from the place of observation to engagement and participation. We invite People from merely listening to experiencing firsthand the power of community, the truth of scriptures. We invite young men and women from grandmother's faith to finding and discovering their own faith. We invite people from the pattern of escaping difficulties and struggles and problems into equipping them to handle those problems. We invite them certainly into fun, but we invite them also into formation. Camp is a wonderful place of excitement and and energy and fun times, but ultimately it's about Christ being formed in us. We invite people from fear, with the hope that they will leave with courage. We invite them from their insecurities into confidence, from failure into resilience. Try and try and try again is what gets to happen in our ministry at Yellowstone Alliance Adventures. And as we partner in our community, it's also an invitation for us as community members. Instead of merely being independent organizations, how can we link arms and develop partnerships that are so much greater and stronger and effective doing significant work of expanding the kingdom of God in Bozeman? Of all things, we do well is inviting people from individual isolation into community, into belonging. So as we come to the end of this message, I I want to, again, capitalize on this wonderful invitation. Josh, bring your team back up here. Not even just an invitation. I guess it's there because we can choose to do something with it or not. But as Jesus, the story of 5,000 people lands on familiar ears, I pray that you will also hear those few words in there today. Jesus Christ himself is saying to you in your moments, in your individual life, friend, you give them something to eat. You do something about this situation that I've placed you in.